The Big Beat manifesto goes, Big Beats are the best, get high all the time. Right. At the time, it felt like a much more all-encompassing philosophy. This is outrageous. This is contagious. Oh, oh, oh. You cretin! You're a fuckhead! That's what you are! A fucking shithead! It was a joke, Mark. I was joking. It was a Christmas joke. Okay, alright. I've got it plugged in, and it is facing in. Let me just make sure I've got the clock set correctly. Okay. Are we, are we flashing 12? Yeah, no, no, we've got the clock set appropriately, so the microwave is on and we are recording. Oh, wow, so the whole world can hear us then? Yeah, yeah, the whole world can hear us. That, that's kind of concerning, but since they can hear us, welcome to the L Dude Brothers Podcast, Episode 4. Today we're going to be talking about the episode Mark Makes a Friend, which originally aired on October 10th of 2003. I'm your host, Lee. And I'm your co-host and microwave expert, Sean. And, uh, you know, a little bit going on in the news this week. We have the official year for football kicking off for the NFL. Yeah, pretty pretty excited. Looking forward to the start of football season. Uh, as much as I love baseball and March Madness, football is what really gets me going. Yes, you need, uh, need some contact sports in your life for sure. It's been interesting to watch the Bengals dismantle their entire team. But, yeah, that's what, that's what you get used to after a while. So, Yeah, yeah. Um, Chiefs are haven't really done much as far as I have been aware of outside of releasing um, Jamal Charles. Oh, that's too bad. But that wasn't, yeah, uh, not unexpected, unfortunately. He's only played in like three games in the last two years. Well, what might come as kind of an unexpected surprise to some people is the Nintendo Switch came out because there really wasn't a like a complete overload of publicity about it compared to previous systems they've released yeah i felt like the switch release was pretty low-key um i actually saw a switch out in the wild um on saturday and it looked pretty cool yeah i don't I mean, think i'll be i don't think i'll be getting one because i'm not the biggest zelda fan in the world no um, i mean you know all of, all of its hit game that it has going on but you know i i was suckered into buying a wii u yeah you know that was back when Oh, you know, you see one on the store shelf, it's like three days after it comes out. Oh, man, I can sell this shit on eBay. But then, you know, turns out nobody wants one, so I just unboxed it and used it. But I find it interesting that they replaced basically what was a tablet for mobile play that was very unsuccessful with a tablet for mobile play. Yeah, also the cartridges taste really bad. I don't know if you've heard about this. I did hear about that. I found it very interesting. So uh, just a little pro tip there. If you pick up a Nintendo Switch, please do not try to eat the cartridges. You'll have a very bad time. Yeah. Speaking of bad times, we uh, Mark is going to have some bad times in this episode. Um, I This episode, not really high on this one. Um, the best thing about this episode is it does introduce Patterson Joseph as Alan Johnson, uh, Patterson Joseph is also known for, he's been in a lot of stuff. Like if you look at his filmography on Wikipedia, he has been in just an absolute ton of series. He does a lot of um, classical acting, theater acting. Um, he had a role in two episodes of Doctor Who where he essentially plays the character Johnson in Doctor Who. Um, he was in the HBO series, The Leftovers, um, he also had small roles in the movie Eon Flux, and then he was in The Beach with Leonardo DiCaprio. He's been in a ton of stuff. Yeah, and, and you kind of described to me the his role in Doctor Who, and it definitely sounds like Johnson just transplanted, sort of like uh, you know the movie Your Highness, where Kenny Powers gets transplanted into Middle Earth. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> He's basically Alan Johnson in space and is a game show host. That sounds fantastic. I'll have to check that out for sure. Uh, but for now, we're going to go ahead and check out Season 1, Episode 4 of Peep Show. Like we said, it's called Mark Makes a Friend, written by Jesse Armstrong and Sam Bain, as always. And we start off the show with a shot of Mark at JLB actually getting chewed out by someone we haven't met yet. Yeah, this is this is a pretty funny part where you have Mark and he's looking very concerned. Um, initially, you think he's at some sort of like maybe job interview or something, and he's just like thinking, you know, don't screw this up, no screw ups, got to impress. And then we get a we get a, a view from Mark's eyes where we see Johnson for the first time, and uh, Johnson just rips into Mark at this point. 
And Johnson really goes to town. Are you a pathetic, worthless punk? You're a hippie parasite. And actually goes as far as calling him a turkey fucker. And why can he call Mark a turkey fucker? Because he's the big man and Mark's a shitheel. The funny part about this is that Mark is like getting aroused as this is happening where he's just in his head he's just like oh yeah oh yeah bring it on bring it on (laughs) well and it's kind of funny too because if you think back to 2003 you know anybody who's held any kind of corporate job you know with a big company has seen a horrible hr video that kind of plays out in a similar fashion yeah yeah and the, the whole point of this whole conversation between mark and johnson is Johnson is trying to show the other JLB employees how to properly talk to someone. And, um, you know, he's being very mean to Mark, but then at the end of it, he says, or I could make Mr. Corkin feel like a valued and worthwhile customer. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think there's definitely a little bit of extra sensitivity training that maybe needs to happen on one end of the table. But uh, yeah, at the end of the scene here, we basically have Mark just completely enamored with Johnson and actually goes as far as to say that he loves him. In his head. Yeah, he says that in his head. Right in his head, the internal monologue. So uh, we're going to go ahead and transition to Apollo House in Mark and Jeremy's flat that's just in a complete state of disarray. Yeah, Jeremy and Superhands are in the, the, the living room. There's just drug paraphernalia everywhere the the flat just looks like um a flop house from like some 60s drug movie where there's just (laughs) cigarette butts joints like pills just everywhere jeremy kind of comes to in kind of this state of like i don't know like he's coming down off of stuff and he just looks at super hands and he's like super hands what are we doing and Hans just looks at him and says, we, my friend, are looking through the other end of the telescope. Which is a line that I love. And, you know, you can tell Jeremy is concerned because, you know, if you look at the state of things, obviously, I mean, it seems like they had a really great night. Don't get me wrong, but it seems like something's a bit amiss. Yeah, um, he starts to, this is the first time you get kind of Jeremy's storyline is, where he's basically trying to remember the bad thing. And the first hint of the bad thing is he sees a, a, a little container of dental floss on the table, and there's probably about six to seven inches of dental floss pulled out, and he's just like, was that the bad thing? And it shows super hands like vomiting in the toilet, and Jeremy just comes up behind him with some floss wrapped around his hands like a garrote, and he just starts choking super hands with it and he's just yelling in his head flosses boss flosses boss <laughs> which i think was just fantastic that was a fun little scene and you know super hands says you know the bad thing is probably going to come clear a little bit later of course super hands is right we're going to find out a little bit more about that shortly but then uh, jeremy suggests that you know maybe we should start cleaning up the flat cuz it is just horrible in there and Superhands says that, you know, I that's against everything I stand for. There's no way I'm going to do that. And Superhands is exactly the kind of guy who would just trash a place when he's all drugged out, but not actually clean up and just leave. And, eh, fuck it, somebody else will deal with it. Yeah, I've, uh, I've known people like that who were on, um, who would get drunk and then not offer to help clean up um, when it became clear that they trashed the place after they were drunk. As far as we know, as far as we know, the, you know, nobody left an upper decker. So that's, yeah, a, that's, yeah. a good, that's a good night. Yeah. So then we, we get Sophie walking into a hotel room or, and we get Mark and Jeff that are in the room together, which is a little bit strange because I mean, why would Mark and Jeff be sharing a room? Yeah. I, I have no idea why Mark and Jeff are actually sharing a room in this scene. Um, Mark is wanting to invite Sophie to go down to the hotel bar, but he he just can't really bring himself to do it. Um, the whole entire JLB team is on a trip somewhere. They never say where, but it's probably either Cardiff or Kettering, because that's the, the two main places that the JLB crew goes throughout the course of the series. I mean, it's just confusing though, because the, in this scene, there's a bunch of there's a bunch of characters mentioned that you never have heard of before, never hear of again. 
And again, we have no idea where they're at, and it's just very sudden. Like, I didn't really enjoy this scene very much. Yeah, um, and speaking of characters we never see again, we get Debbie, who is apparently in a wheelchair. Um, Sophie screws over Mark again by saying that he's got to find his own ride to the airport because Debbie's wheelchair is going to take, take up an extra spot in the car. And then there's this some guy named Dave. They don't know. We never know who Dave is. We don't know anything about Dave, but um, fuck him because oh, he gets asshole. the extra spot because he's been helping with Debbie's wheelchair. Um, Mark tries to like be like, oh, well, I could help with Debbie's wheelchair. But Sophie just kind of cuts him off and says, well, but Dave has been the one that's been primarily helping with with Debbie's wheelchair. Yeah, and Mark's just, he's completely defeated because he, I think he was just really banking on that time with Sophie. And I'm going to go out on a limb maybe and even say, as we'll find out in one of the scenes coming up here, that maybe Mark and Sophie don't even know who Dave is. It's completely possible. It is completely possible. Yep. But, so, Jeff is, you know, like you said, I, I think he's just very restrained and just kind of laying back because, I mean, Mark's just going to, between him and Sophie, you're just going to work Mark down into the hole. And it just, it, it works out um, from that standpoint. But this scene overall, eh, not, not too exciting. I, I think that Jeff is restrained because, really, the comedy is just writing itself. And he doesn't need to say anything else to Mark to really kind of, like, dig the needle in. Um, Mark has a scene where he looks over at, at Jeff and he's just like... Go on, yeah, I know what you're thinking. You're great, and I'm the worm. You're the king. Yeah, well, eat your nuts and go fuck yourself. Because <laughs> Jeff is laying on the bed eating, like, nuts, mixed nuts. It's definitely Jeff in rare form where he's not actively prodding Mark for more of a reaction. Yeah, it's pretty. It's a, it's a pretty funny scene with Jeff, and... Uh, the thing about Jeff is that I think that Jeff knows when is time to needle and when is time to just kind of sit back and listen. Yeah, I think so. He's he's very diabolical in a very idiotic sort of way. But we're yeah. gonna go go ahead and hit go back to Apollo House where Jeremy is cleaning up the flat, kind of just vacuuming everything in sight, trying still trying to figure out what exactly occurred. Yeah, he has this he has this monologue where he's talking about um, he feels like a loam. Um, he's also really depressed and um, oddly codependent on Mark. Like you see a very codependent Jeremy this episode. Um, like Lee said, Jeremy is just cleaning up everything with the vacuum. He's cleaning up cigarette butts, just whatever garbage is on the floor, potato chips. And he's just like thinking about how he's just going to quit doing drugs altogether and he's like, what great art was made with drugs? And he's like, Bowie, obviously. The Floyd. The Proj. Aphex Twins. A list is endless. But they probably could have got it done faster and with half the mess if they had avoided doing drugs. Yeah. And, you know, vacuuming certainly has never uh, been considered any kind of extreme activity or anything like that. And I don't know if you can really apply the term reckless abandon to vacuuming. But I no, think but he is. I think it works. Yeah, yeah, he is kind of just vacuuming with reckless abandon. Um, <laughs> he also sees like kind of a about a third smoked joint, and then it just kind of causes him to flash back again. And was that the bad thing? And it just goes to this weird flashback where they have somehow stuck like what would you say, ten to fifteen joints At into least, a sub yeah. sandwich. Yeah, there's like 10 to 15 but, joints in this sub sandwich. But it was one of those like like four-foot subs, like massive thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and Super Hands is just taking big, big rips out of this sub sandwich. And I don't know how he's actually getting any smoke into his lungs, but the, the joints are obviously getting air pulled through them because you see the tips start to kind of heat up and everything like a cigarette. Yeah, I mean, there's another peep show life hack for you. I mean, some people, you know, they smoke a bong, they put some pineapple juice or some apple juice or something in there for flavor. If you want your smoke to taste like a BMT, put your joints in a Subway sandwich. Yeah, I, uh, if I smoked weed, I would consider doing that. Oh, of, of course, I, you know, never. Yeah. yeah. 
<clears throat> me too. Me too. <clears throat> me, me too. So, um, yeah, so Jeremy is kind of uh, trying to become more responsible because obviously with hands uh, refusing to clean anything and Jeremy having to do it all himself, he's kind of uh, having some empathy for Mark, I think, although we'd never admit it. Yeah. This is this is pretty funny because I've had a similar epiphany to Jeremy's here and I still just end up procrastinating on everything. Yeah. yeah. So we get Mark walking down the street, uh, just I, again, in whatever nameless city that they're actually in. And he's kind of walking on the shoulder of the road where it's extremely muddy and he's just he's really feeling down about himself because he didn't get the ride from Sophie. Yeah, and he actually he actually sees Sophie um, kind of driving past him in a car. And, of course, this is when he sees Jeff. Fucking Jeff. Jeff is in the car. Jeff flashes him this just, like, typical Jeff shit-eating grin. And at this point, Mark knows Sophie screwed him again. Absolutely. And, and you know, given uh, Sophie's relationship with Jeff, or what, I don't know if you'd call it a relationship at this point or what, again, that's this is where I say... Is Dave a real person, or did Sophie know that she was just going to give Jeff a ride but didn't want to make Mark feel bad? Um, I don't know, because I will get the scene later where Sophie kind of explains what happened, and I would like to think that um, that what Sophie says happened is what actually happened. Um, I don't want to jump too far ahead of ourselves no, right now, but, but Mark goes from the lowest low, which is this is the worst thing that could possibly happen to everyone, to the highest high, because we get a BMW 5 Series pulling over, door opens, and we just see Johnson. And he just looks at Mark and says, Mark? Mark, that's it, correct? (laughs) Which I also find funny because uh, I feel like that Johnson is not the kind of person that would remember some underling's name. No, certainly not. But I mean, given their exchange at the beginning of the episode, you'd think that he'd remember him a little bit. And Mark just has kind of given him this look, sort of like you'd expect maybe an, an eight-year-old kid who saw John Cena walking past him on the street. Like, oh my god. Yeah, yeah. Mark looks super excited at this point and um, happily gets into the car with Johnson. And he goes from, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to anyone to this is the best thing to happen to anyone ever. I mean, Mark, yeah, again, Mark will take his win wherever he can get it, and if it's hanging out with Johnson, you know, it's he, he obviously idolizes him as a business person because up until this point in his career, he's just kind of been a mid-level sort of worker bee. Manager. Yeah, yeah, mid-level, yeah. mid-level worker bee. So Mark eventually makes his way back to Apollo House where he's kind of boasting to himself about – Oh, look at me. I'm friends with a big black businessman. Like, it's the most natural thing in the world. Yeah, I find this... It wasn't until I rewatched this scene a couple times that I realized how just, like, subtly racist Mark is being, where he's (laughs) like, oh, I'm friends with a big black businessman. If he was accused of a crime that he didn't commit, I could come to... I could could come to his aid. And it's funny because, you know, the... Europe is definitely more progressive than the States. I, I would say they're probably, you know, five to ten years ahead, like with social is being socially liberal. And you just think about, you know, five, ten years ago here in the States, like, oh, no, it's cool. I have a black friend. Yeah. 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 yeah and Mark is Mark finally. And this is probably the first time in his life that Mark has ever probably had a friend who was not white or a friend, period. Uh, well, yeah, there wasn't Jeremy, but I don't know. I don't know what you'd call that friendship, but, uh, anyway, so Jeremy kind of pops into the scene, just surprises Mark with a, one of those little party kazoo, uh, you know, whistle things saying, oh, hey, you know, very happy to see Mark because Superhands is no longer there. The flat is pretty cleaned up and I think he's just relieved that he doesn't have to, you know, wear the big boy pants anymore. Yeah, I would I would say that this is like the cleanest we ever see Apollo House in the entire series. Probably. And I love the the little homemade banner in the back. It just says "Welcome back, Marky," and it's got this like poorly drawn uh, Mark and Jeremy face. And 
Yeah, it's pretty funny. Yeah, I, I don't know about you. I saw Jeremy Clarkson on the banner on the left side. And I, I didn't see anything looking like Mark, but maybe that's just, I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, so Jeremy's just really laying it on thick, and uh, we get we get another L Dude Brothers honk. Yeah, and this time, Jeremy is the one that's, that's super enthused, and he's just like, look, it's the L Dude Brothers. <laughs> and then it flips over to Mark, and he's just like, eh, eh. And Jeremy is just being so over overly nice to Mark, and he asks, "Did you bring back any little tiny soaps?" And <laughs> Mark is trying to. Mark has um, so a bottle of wine with him, and he just tells Jeremy, "You know, like, hey, I'm sorry. Got to get this this bottle of wine opened up. I have a friend coming over later." And Jeremy just looks like concerned. Uh, who is this friend that Mark has? Yeah, which is a valid concern for him as we find out a little bit later because, you know, I mean, Mark and Jeremy are two very different people. Mark seems to be going places in the world, and Jeremy is doesn't want to not have somebody to just glom onto. Yeah, that's definitely that's definitely true. Jeremy is uh, a little concerned uh, about potentially not having... Uh, a Corrigan to leech off of. Absolutely, and later that evening we have Johnson, the friend, come over, and so Johnson, Mark, and Jeremy are just kind of sitting around a table drinking the wine. Yeah, and uh, it becomes it it becomes perfectly clear early on that Johnson has the same kind of conservative political views that that Mark has. He's not a fan of Tony Blair. He's not a fan of how. The UK is just subservient to George Bush, which I got to tell you, having a George Bush reference just really like <laughs> hammered home to me how old this show is. Absolutely. And he uh, actually channels uh, Sam Brown back, the governor of Kansas, uh, talking about, you know, ripping down school funding and, and stuff like that. And, you yeah. know, talk about Mark's political views, though. I'm not I'm not convinced that he is like a like a diehard conservative either i i think that his his morality is definitely more shifting throughout the series yeah i i think that he's i i think that it, it's weird because in europe um especially in england like their political party that we would consider like a right-wing political party is still not even as would probably be considered almost like center center right like center left here where um you know mark is definitely i, I think he has conservative like fiscal and he definitely doesn't want to be part of like the european union hates the euro you know stuff like typical right like a european right wing view but mm-hmm. his as far as like his social views go he's like definitely i feel like he's definitely very liberal socially I would say, I mean, he just kind of picks and chooses. Definitely. Yeah. He, he just, he cherry picks whatever he, you know, sounds good to him, which, you know, he's a pretty smart guy. So, uh, you know, it's not too far out there, but, uh, you know, they just start, you know, they get, they're going on about politics and, you know, Johnson's just kind of intrigued by what Jeremy's saying about, you know, uh, it's all lies and Blair, uh, sits at home in the suit watching big brother yeah and uh and um johnson is just like what you uh you turn the news off as soon as it comes on and jeremy's just like well no no yeah sometimes and it and then mark looks a little concerned that um that Jeremy is just going to spoil everything for them. Yeah. And you know, Jeremy kind of takes it as far as like, Oh, you know, Mark likes Israel, you know, of course. And you know, Jeremy's Palestine as if it's like a football match or something. Yeah. He talks about how politics is much more enjoyable when you pick a side and Johnson just kind of looks concerned at where this conversation is going. And I think Mark actually does something socially smart here and just like, changes the subject yeah he, he definitely does but i mean you know it's funny that they mention the whole pick and sides thing and you know root, rooting for your team i mean you know god help them if they ever come to to america yeah <laughs> yes that is very true 
definitely. So, Mark, we get a mention, uh, the, actually the first mention, of Mark's book that he's writing, which is called Business Secrets of the Pharaohs, which could not sound less interesting. Yeah, this is another long-running joke, and it's first introduced in, in Season 1, and it's literally not until Season 8 that this like joke gets resolved. And um, it'll kind of... Uh, It'll kind of like simmer. It'll kind of simmer. They'll just bring it up out of nowhere. It'll simmer again. It's very funny, and uh, it's a great joke. And honestly, it sounds like a horrible book, but I know that somebody out there would want to read it. Well, you know, and when you get to that season eight payoff and you start to hear about some of the things in the book, you're like, okay, you know, this this might actually work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, but it, give, leave it to Mark to try to, you know, compare modern business to ancient Egypt, Mr. History Buff and business savant wannabe. I don't know what you'd, what you'd call him, but uh, he tries to turn on his laptop to show Johnson his manuscript and the laptop will not turn on, which triggers Jeremy into thinking, whoa, hang on, this might be the bad thing. Yeah, and then there's another funny scene, and one of the other funny things that happens during some of these Jeremy and Superhands flashbacks is that you actually get like a third-person view of the events that are going on. Um, you did it in the Floss's Boss scene, you did it in, when they're smoking the, the sub-sandwich reefer thing. You also get it in this scene where Jeremy and Superhands are both sitting in a bathtub. They have their clothes on, the water is full there's like bubbles and everything and they're just using the uh laptop to make like tidal waves in the <laughs> bathtub and they're just yelling make a tsunami make a tsunami <laughs> and you know so jeremy is a little bit taken aback by this realization so he kind of goes up to mark as if he's going to help him fix his laptop and just sort of like leans over to, to push a button and just spills his wine on the laptop yeah, he spills, yeah, it's very funny. He just spills Mark's wine all over the laptop, and then he starts trying to, like, mop it up, and then he's like, oh, you've uh, you've broken your laptop. Oh, you spilled wine all over it. And Mark's just like, yeah, well, it wasn't really working to begin with. And Jeremy's just like, well, it was working until you spilled wine all over it. Silly Mark. But uh, so we get, the next scene is, Kind of an, I don't know if it's an indeterminate amount of time later or if they actually mention it, but Mark and Johnson are riding in Johnson's BMW, and Mark is sporting a little bit of a stash there. Yeah, the only the only reason that I think that there's any sort of like time given is Mark says he's known Johnson for a fortnight, yeah. which is about two weeks. Um, and Mark, yeah, is sporting this great like caterpillar mustache which we should mention that johnson also has a similar mustache well I'd, I'd say that johnson's mustache is almost like a john waters sort of a mustache like kind of thin pencil-y yeah but it, but it works for johnson it's not creepy you know you don't feel like he's some kind of weird molester like you do when you look at john waters but yeah um, you know marks is just it's sort of like um you know, mustache march in the military where people that absolutely shouldn't be growing mustaches are making a solid attempt at it yeah, this is this is really funny because Mark is just like super submissive to everything that Johnson is doing, and um, Johnson will just be talking to him, and he'll just say second, and then Mark will shift gears in their car to uh, in the BMW to uh, um, to second gear. Also, in this scene, Johnson starts talking to Mark about moving to Cardiff and starting basically like working for a different division at JLB and um, moving to Cardiff. And um, Mark is kind of pushing back a little bit on this because he doesn't really want to move away from South Croydon. Um, but you get this really funny scene where um, Mark is just looking at Johnson and he just says, Oh, it feels weird, dad. And then, <laughs> and then Johnson just kind of is like, what? And then internally Mark is like, shit. And then out loud, he's like, it feels weird, daddy-o. And then internally, again, he's like, good save. And, and, and then, Johnson kind of throws the daddy-o back in his face, too. Yeah, he. I can't remember exactly what he says. He's like, exactly, daddy-o, third. 
and then Mark shifts into third gear. And then we get a great monologue from Johnson. Uh, yeah, just... and I can't do this. I can't do this monologue any justice, but it's a very funny story. So let's just listen to Alan Johnson tell you a story of two mountain climbers. Let me tell you a little story, Mark. It's about a pair of mountain climbers. Well, one's climbing the mountain. The other one's injured, weak, unhealthy, clinging to the first guy's leg. Uh-huh, interesting. So the first guy has a choice, right? Let his pal cling on and they're both yak food. Or shake him off and make it to the top. Solo. Yeah, that's... Yeah, that's a pretty good analogy there. Uh, yeah, definitely yeah. that thing that Johnson would uh, would come up with. Yeah, and it's it's funny because I feel like that in this scene, Johnson is the strong climber and Mark is the weak and injured one. But in Mark's like his power dynamic with Jeremy, Mark is the strong the strong person, and Jeremy is like the weak one clinging to him. It's definitely kind of a shit rolls downhill scenario. I would say because you know it's yeah. just you're you're just passing you're just gonna pass this like perceive this perception of power down to the next weakest person in the chain. Yeah, I call it. Uh, it I, it's like I had a friend, and he had he was the oldest child. There was a middle sister and there was a younger sister, and his dad would walk in and he would say, "Son, get me some iced tea." My friend would look at the middle sister and he would say go get dad iced tea and the the middle sister would look at the younger sister and, and would say go get dad iced tea and the younger sister didn't really have anybody to pawn it off on so you know she would end up getting everybody iced tea yeah uh so speaking of eating and drinking at the next scene we have mark and jeremy eating sushi at a really neat looking conveyor belt sort of place and I've, I've never been to a place like this but it looks really neat yeah, we have one of them in Kansas, and uh, my wife and I were going to go one time, and I can't remember. I think that they were either, they have like funky hours or something like that, and so we got up there to go eat, and then they were closed, and I don't remember, but they're uh, they're popular in Japan, not so much in Kansas City. No, I can't, and I imagine there's probably a name for them that, that we're not thinking of, but you get... Jeremy and Mark sitting at the table and Mark's mustache actually starting to become a little bit more respectable. Yeah, I like that with the mustache you can tell that time has passed. Um, and you you can see that this episode takes place over a long period of time just based off of how much the mustache changes. Absolutely. Either that or you know David Mitchell has just an uncanny ability to grow facial hair. But Mark is becoming worried about, you know, Jeremy's reaction to the whole Cardiff situation. And Mark's kind of reaching back to the mountain climber story that Johnson told him and thinking that Jeremy's just a weak person. Yeah. And, and Mark is also talking about this story that Johnson told him. He's talking about the sushi and how Johnson loves this place. And, um, Jeremy is just kind of zoning out and all he just keeps hearing is Johnson, Johnson, Johnson. And he just finally, snaps and is just like oh johnson says oh johnson says if you love johnson so much why don't you marry him which is a dangerous thing in this episode because i think it plants a seed in mark to where he just starts questioning himself not initially because mark initially says you know i've got nothing against being gay but i'm not neither is johnson yeah, he throws out this line where he's like, he's black, which I've expected you've noticed. And then Jeremy just kind of fires back, oh, what, just because he's black, I have to like him? And um, and then he throws it in Mark's face where he's just like, oh, that's political madness run amok. <laughs> which, you know, is typically something that Mark hates, but he's too busy thinking to himself, you know, well, I'm just the sort of person who'd be gay and repress it even to himself. He definitely seems like, I mean, he, he is a self-hating guy. Yeah, and and the fact that he might be gay just really is kind of starting to eat at Mark a little bit. And um, But the next funny part that happens in this scene is that Mark just basically drops the bomb on Jeremy and just says, hey, I'm moving to Cardiff. I've got to do it. There's nothing, there's nothing that's going to change my mind. And Jeremy just starts, is, is completely devastated at this, and he's like trying to pretend to be interested in what Mark is saying, and he's like 
eating wasabi on the sushi, and he also just grabs this pair of chopsticks, and he tells Mark that the chopsticks are too long for him. So he just, like, <laughs> snaps them in half in, like, the most comical way imaginable. And then he's using these, like, two little chopstick nubs to eat sushi with. <laughs> just an adult throwing an irrational fit. But I like Mark's line here, where Mark says, you know, if he hangs himself because of this, I could put an orange in his mouth and say it was a fatal wanking accident, which... Jeremy has a lot of mentions, or at least the show does, about autoerotic asphyxiation, and it definitely seems like something that Jeremy would do. Yeah, yeah, there's a there's a couple mentions of autoerotic asphyxiation. Um, I I kind of decided to watch a bunch of episodes over the, uh, you know, I've been I was sick on Monday and Tuesday, uh, which is why the show's a little bit late, and so I. Uh, because I was sick, I didn't really have much time. Yeah, you know, I didn't have much of anything to do, so I watch a whole bunch of, of episodes. And yeah, there's uh, several mentions of autoerotic asphyxiation and Mark constantly telling him that it is like a dangerous thing to do. <laughs> I was I was really looking forward to you possibly spitting out that word one more time. Great job on that. We're one for three. Well, you know, it's uh, when it's one of your hobbies, you got to know how to pronounce it. Yeah, sure, sure. Makes sense. But um, so Mark then meets Johnson at a pub, just kind of hanging out, talking business. Yeah, it seems like that this meeting is that this is kind of like a like, a, I don't know, like a wrap up or, a, you know, a session after some meeting because debrief. Yeah, debrief, because Mark and Johnson are just kind of spitting out like every single business cliche imaginable um Apparently, Johnson blew apart Barbara the racist Stone Age business paradigm. And then he is just like Mark is so funny in the scene because he is just gazing kind of lovingly at Johnson. And he's starting to think about like maybe he really is gay. And fortunately, Sophie kind of steps in at this point and Mark just kind of snaps out of it and then starts, you know, is able to focus on Sophie. Right, and Sophie's concerned about Barbara, uh, that she went home crying. And interesting thing about Barbara, because, you know, you we see her in the interview, right? Yeah. And then, like, she seems like a very nice person, but apparently she's just absolutely horrible. I don't know. Yeah, really. well, you know, she is a racist. Yeah, apparently. Uh, handing a big heart full of race hate out to people. But so Johnson says, you know, look, I'm not the doctor. I don't make the needle sharp. Pretty much, you know, she needs to just grow up and deal with it. You know, she's a racist, you know, fuck her pretty much. Yeah. Uh, and, then, and then you just really get Mark. He's still just, his 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 mind is slowly being eroded by these thoughts of, am I gay? Yeah, and, and so he tries to kind of, he kind of tries to play it off and he's like, because Sophie has walked away at this point out of disgust. And, um, you know, Mark just is like trying to be cool guy, and he's like, you know, I could have, I could have had something with Sophie, and then this kind of sets Johnson off, where he starts talking about how Sophie has a fat ass, and how, um, you know, uh, if if Mark goes to business, goes into business with Johnson, that there won't be any time for women and it'll just be you and me and a couple of fuck off spreadsheets. And Mark is just getting like elated by this. And he, it, he just ends the scene by thinking like, Oh yes, Johnson, take me. I'm yours. Yeah. I feel like I find myself saying this in just about every episode we do, but if you've ever gone to a potential partner and gotten them on board with you by talking about spreadsheets, please send us a comment. Let us know. Yeah. Yeah. This next scene is kind of a this next scene is kind of a short one and basically Superhands is excited about the prospect of him moving into Apollo House with Jeremy. Um, they're hanging out in Mark's room and Jeremy or Superhands is like smoking in Mark's room and Jeremy keeps spraying like Febreze in the air and he's also holding out an ashtray for Superhands to ash in and um, Superhands is like, oh, I know what we should get Mark for a present for a going away present we should spike his drink <laughs> Which, yeah perfect for super hands but then jeremy has one of his kind of you know normal moments and says well you know maybe we should get him a nice watch because you know jeremy actually likes mark and cares about him and and at this point i think jeremy's just completely disgusted with super hands and his cleanliness and, and definitely he's definitely concerned about the potential living situation 
Yeah, he talks about how he's going to have Mark make him a, a cleaning rotation, and they're just going to stick to the cleaning rotation, and then everything will be fine. <laughs> but back at JLB, we're having tea time with Mark. Yeah, and Mark is pretty much in like the full-on throes of having some sort of like sexual orientation crisis, where he's just like, there's probably much less to worry about with gay sex. I mean, you know where you are with a cock, and... Um, then Sophie walks in, and I love this scene because Mark is just trying to be super suave with Sophie. And again, the mustache is coming in, which just adds a, a complete air of creepiness with Mark's attitude in the scene. But Mark, Sophie comes in and basically explains to Mark that she wasn't screwing him over by not giving him a ride, that she actually went to his hotel room to get him, but Mark had already left, so she picked up Jeff in the car instead of Mark. Yeah, yeah, um... And Mark is just like, he's trying to like, he's trying to be like super suave and he's like, didn't phase me, sweetheart. And then he has this like little internal monologue where he's like, shit, that's a bit too much. And I think, um, and I think that if Mark wasn't trying to be so cool and in the middle of a crisis, he'd probably think the same thing that I did. Ah, Dave's bullshit. Dave didn't actually exist. Yeah. And uh, I like the scene because Sophie like realizes that he uh that she kind of screwed mark over and she's genuinely like trying to apologize to him but um <laughs> uh but like she's trying to like apologize and mark is just like okay i'm gonna go in for it and he goes to give her a kiss and then she just like bashes him right in the face with a cupboard drawer and then is like apologizing to him and then mark realizes that there's only one thing left and that's gay sex i mean at this point what does he have to lose really yeah yeah so mark the sexual scientist is back at apollo house and he's got a gay porno that he bought at some sort of convenience store yeah mr patel is actually mentioned quite a bit in the series i think it's just the their local little mini mart gas station sort of thing but you know i haven't been to too many convenience stores that sell gay porn but this particular one sold one called backdoor boys i believe it was what it was called well you know in uh uh england's a little more sexual or uh, europe i guess is a little more sexually liberal i mean i remember when i was in france uh they would just sell porno on the street corner. I'm convenient. Don't get me wrong. I mean, we got yeah, the internet and, now, though. I mean, yeah, and really awesome when you're 16 and you like are like, oh, that's cool. Oh yeah, I mean, not having to just you know steal that one porn mag from your dad, and by the time you're done with it, when you're you know older, it looks like an Arby's ad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I like one thing I really like about this scene is you get to see the man-sized tissues. <laughs> Yeah, the, the man-sized tissues are, are, you know, for cleaning up man mess, like Jeremy said. And, eh, so I think that's Mark's intent here. And Mark has a very, very good commentary on the porn that he's watching, just trying to sort it all out within himself. And, again, couldn't do it justice. So we'll go ahead and kind of tune into Mark here for a minute. <laughs> so here we go. Watch without prejudice. I'm just testing the water. I'm a sexual scientist. So, okay, I'm keeping in trim. This is fine. Typical evening in. Johnson's doing the spreadsheet. There's nothing to be afraid of. It was very popular with the Romans and they got a lot done. How's it going, Johnson? <laughs> so quick. Yeah, some good kissing. Maybe I'm just bi-curious. What if that actually was Johnson? Would that make me hotter? What about if he had Sophie's face? Or Sophie's body with Johnson's face. Mum, Dad, I'm bi-curious. Yeah, right, the bum. Nothing wrong with a bum. Ah, that's a little too rich for me. I just don't know! <laughs> yeah, I really like this scene. It, unfortunately, oh, man. It, there is a great visual component to it where um, the guy's dick, when it comes out, is all blurred and pixelated, and then... <laughs> Mark just is like, okay, that's it. But, you know, um, he's, he's okay. He's, I just love how okay he is. With, oh, okay, well, that's a bum. Nothing wrong with a bum. Yeah. <laughs> oh, they're they're kissing. Okay, could I kiss Johnson? Yeah, this is Johnson working on the spreadsheets. It's just great. I think it's one of Mark's better kind of internal monologues. 
Yeah, also in a reference to how old this series is, uh, one of the gentlemen in the gay porno is working on an iMac. <laughs> yeah, high quality production values in 2003 for the uh, the porn industry. So yeah, which next... I imagine that, I imagine that iMac was probably cutting edge when it came out. Oh, when did iMacs come out? Like 97, 98-ish, maybe? Oh, that, that big that big uh, all-in-one with the... I bet that was 2000. Yeah, we'll I don't to, know. We'll have to look that one up. I, I just I remember seeing... They were everywhere. I mean, you know. But uh, yeah. So the next day, uh, after Mark's failed uh, wanking experiment... I don't know what you'd call it. Wanking experiment, I guess. Uh, we have Jeremy and Mark just kind of hanging out and uh, you know just watching TV, sort of back to the Beavis and Butthead thing again. And we get a music video of uh, Russians by Sting. Yeah, and uh, Jeremy is just like, do the Russians really love their children? Um, uh, he doesn't really understand rhetorical questions. Um, Mark is just trying to explain to him that this is like a rhetorical question. Um, and then uh, Mark also mentions that he is concerned about his laptop because he, and he, he needs to go pick it up from the computer repair place because... Johnson is coming over and he wants to show him business secrets of the pharaohs. But Johnson's not going to be driving over because we find out that he actually left the keys to his BMW at the pub when he was with Mark and Mark picked up the keys. So naturally, you know, Mark doesn't know how to drive and Jeremy just kind of offers to drive Mark in Johnson's Beamer to the repair center. Yeah, I like the subtle manipulation by Jeremy here where he's like, oh, this is probably an initiative test. Will you walk like a stupid duck, or will you drive like... And then he just pauses. Clarkson, which <laughs> obviously most, I'm sure, 100% people know it's a reference to Top Gear. Yeah, I think we've beat uh, Top Gear references, or at least I have. But yeah. uh, Jeremy is is convinced that you know if he wrecked Johnson's car... You know, well, I've got my mom's insurance. I'm covered on any car that I drive. He thinks everything's going to be fine. There's what could possibly go wrong. And as somebody who works in the insurance company, I can 100% guarantee you that if that uh, Jeremy's insurance policy on his mom's car would not cover Johnson's car. Good, good tip for all you uh, car borrowers out there. But in this case, they go ahead and they take off in Johnson's car. And, and I love this. I love this next scene because you have Jeremy driving and he's wearing uh, every time you see Johnson driving, he's wearing like fingerless leather driving gloves and he's just driving Johnson's BMW. Like he stole it. Um, Jeremy is super funny in the scene where he's just like, Oh, you know, what do you guys talk about in the car? And uh, he's like, don't tell me it's just the VAT on cigarillos. Yeah. You know, he's definitely sort of laying it on to, to get Mark back on his team, so to speak, because yeah. he's just worried about Mark slipping away from him. Uh, so Jeremy gets this idea uh, that, you know, maybe he's going to teach Mark to drive, which we see in the JLB parking lot. Yeah, and, and I like I like Jeremy's little pep talk to Mark here, where he's just like, "Oh yeah, you can you can drive." Mark is uh, Mark of course realizes that this is wrong and that he should not be attempting to drive uh, Johnson's car. But Jeremy just kind of is giving him a bit of a go with it. And he's like, Mark is like, Oh, this is wrong. I can't drive. And Jeremy's just like, yes, you can. All you have to do is believe driving is bullshit. (laughs) And you know, Mark uh, just goes for it and he actually does a pretty good job. I mean, I remember, Back when I was first learning how to drive a stick in my Celica, I mean, I stalled that thing probably 50 fucking times before I figured it out. Yeah, but... yeah, he he does a good job. He, he does a good job of driving around in first gear. Yeah, definitely. But, uh, you know, so they make a couple turns, and Jeremy's kind of like, I'm trying to rein him back in. Okay, you know, you've, you've kind of had your fun a little bit. Mark, uh, Mark just is like, you know, I'm going rogue. We're just we're gonna go for it, and he starts speeding up until he sees Jeff and Sophie walking across the street in front of him. Yeah, and then he's he's desperately trying to stop the car, which brings out one of my favorite lines of this episode, which is, "How do I do stopping?" <laughs> yeah, but he pretty much just jams on the brake and stalls the car right there. So maybe maybe not as good of a first effort there. He did end up stalling it, but he rolls down the window in a very 
suave again manner, sort of the same way that he was in the break room with Sophie, and just gives her a look. Yeah, and uh, and Sophie, and uh, I can't really, I have to kind of paint a picture here where Mark basically has this very thick caterpillar mustache. He's got Johnson's driving gloves on. He's like kind of kicked back, like kind of got the gangster lean going on in the in the chair. And um, Sophie's just like, oh, you know, nice car, Mark. And Mark just is like, what, this old banger? And Sophie, I like this part because Sophie doesn't really let Mark get away with it, where she's like, right, this old banger, this is a brand new BMW. Yeah, and, you know, anybody who knows Mark is going to know that it's not his. But so... They have a little conversation, and then Mark wants to kind of pull away and look really cool, but accidentally puts the car in reverse and backs directly up into a dumpster. Yeah, and just, like, gashes um, Alan Johnson's BMW from probably, like, the the driver's side back door all the way back to the rear quarter panel, and it's just this huge gash in the car, and Mark is just, like apoplectic and he's like crouched down in the ground in the fetal position just like rocking back and forth and um sophie is just like oh if he can't drive then why was he driving and jeremy just kind of gives her the crazy sign and jeff really decides to kind of dig in here and like really really needle mark and he's just like alan johnson's beamer <laughs> alan that's really all he had to johnson's say Beamer. It's it's not a good day. I mean, you know, I had an O2 325, and man, if I would have backed that thing into a dumpster, I would have been very upset with myself. But uh, probably not in the fetal position, crying, but pretty close. But later that night at Apollo House, we get Mark begging Jeremy to take the fall for having wrecked Alan Johnson's Beamer. Yeah, this is a real reoccurring trait of Mark's that when shit hits the fan, he just blames Jeremy for everything. Yeah, I mean, Jeremy's just, he's a great scapegoat. It's sort of like, you know, I don't know, people use terms like, you know, under 18 comes out clean or whatever, but it's like, you know, Jeremy's just a wasteoid. What does he care if he's got another, you know, tick on his rap sheet or whatever? Yeah, and but I really think that also it's that Jeremy realizes that that's his role in their friendship, whereas he's the one that, like, takes the blame for things. But he really uses it to his advantage in this scene, and he basically just blackmails Mark into not moving to Cardiff. And he basically just tells him, like, if I do this for you, you cannot, you know, you cannot move out because he does not want to, he does not want to live with super hands. But Jeremy's also very excited at the idea that, you know, Johnson's going to be pretty pissed off at Mark because, you know, again, trying to get Mark back on his team, and maybe if Johnson's upset with him, that'll make that easier. But, uh, you know, Jeremy ultimately, you know, like we said, he does decide to take the blame just to kind of, you know, make Mark feel better and some brownie points. And we get another kind of half-hearted old dude brothers honk. Yeah, Mark is very enthusiastic where he's like, we're the old dude brothers, hank, hank. And Jeremy's just like, eh, eh. Um, and then you get Johnson, and he, he shows up at Apollo House, and he knows that something is amiss because his 5 Series is not where he left it. Yes, and Jeremy went ahead and took the blame, just like they had discussed, but in typical Mark fashion, you know, you give him an inch, he's going to take a mile, and just buries Jeremy under a whole pile of additional things. Yeah, and... uh. It, it's funny because I think that the reason that, that Mark piles on Jeremy like this is because he sees that Johnson is not really that upset about the damage to his 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 car because Mark mentions it, uh, and Johnson just sort of, what, okay, I'm insured out the ass, and then just keeps going. Yeah, I mean, again, having had one, I mean, the paint job on those things is half the price of the friggin' car, so, you know, who cares, you're insured. But, uh, you know, Johnson just kind of turns back to Mark and just keeps on talking and uh, still trying to still trying to convince Mark to to go with him. But Jeremy, he's just he's having a hard time because he doesn't want to live with super hands. So he wants to to dig a little bit deeper at Johnson and Mark to try to come up with some kind of resolution. Yeah. And uh, 
so he so Jeremy then reveals that no, it was actually Mark that wrecked the car, and Johnson uh, kind of sees that Jeremy is being a little bit of a sore loser here, and so he he pretty much calls Jeremy out and tells him that you know oh you're being a sore loser I've won um oh, man he has a great line I can't remember exactly how it goes where he says um he's won the prize here and um <laughs> and you know I just wonder in what world Mark is considered a prize between two men maybe in like a Charlotte's Web sort of way some like yeah some pig yeah but uh... and Jeremy and Jeremy decides to go for a knockout punch here, and he basically is just like, oh yeah, well, if you know Mark so well, what does he like for breakfast? And and uh, Johnson just says like, oh, he thinks Mark's likes business, or likes his breakfast in a business class seat on Virgin Atlantic. And Jeremy's just like, wrong, he likes one brown toast with Marmite and one white toast with lime marmalade. And, and then he gives Johnson the finger. Yeah, and realizing that he's quickly losing the battle of wits here because he brought a knife to a gunfight, Jeremy decides to just go with the nuclear option and says, you know, the truth is, is you know, Mark's gay. And that's this whole thing. He actually holds up and shows Johnson the porno. Yeah, yeah, he just, I love this. He's like, he doesn't love you for your business plan. He loves you for your, and then he just reaches down and he pulls out, what did you say it was called? Bareback Boys or something so, like that? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, and he just shows it to uh, to Johnson, and he's just like, Mark's gay, Johnson. I can handle that. I'm fine with that. <laughs> and then he pauses, and he just kind of narrows his eyes, and he just looks at Johnson and says are you yeah, and you know johnson is you can tell by the look on his face that oh, okay mark has been acting a little bit weird and you know if you just look at the episode you can tell you know johnson's probably realizing the crisis that mark has been in and just tells mark you know look i'm a businessman that's what i am i don't have time for this mark you don't love me do you yeah and and mark is just like um Mark's just like, love you? Of course not. No. Yes. Yes. Maybe a bit. I do possibly somewhat. And then he's like, but I'm 85% sure I'm straight. I just don't know if I'll be able to go through with it until it's right there. <laughs> and, you know, so Johnson's just, you can tell he's fairly disgusted by it. And Jeremy sort of directs him, you know, out. I, I think it's best you go now. In a very yeah, British sort of way. And I think that Johnson is mostly disgusted because Mark loves him and not the business. And I think if Mark had said, you know, I love the business more than you, that, that Johnson probably would have been okay with it. I think so. You know, Johnson at this point in his character development is just a completely straight-up businessman. There's nothing flashy about him, nothing fancy. Just he's all about the business. Yeah, he hates he hates women and loves business. <laughs> yeah. So later that night, after Johnson leaves, Mark and Jeremy are back on the couch watching TV, and I'm not sure if it's a gay dating channel or if it's like a like a like a house hunters type of show with with two gay gentlemen uh, looking for a house. Yeah, I, I don't know. It, I I couldn't really tell what it was. It looked very similar to the dating channel that they were watching in the first episode, but, I mean, you know, I, I know that Europe is a little more progressive than, than America in their social norms, but, I mean, I'd have to think that even in 2003, like, a, a gay dating channel like that is was would be pretty, like, damn. Yeah, but you get this... There, yeah. yeah, you get this great phrase where one of the guys the guys is like... Oh, uh, sorry, before that, you get this scene where Mark is like, I don't want this, I'm not gay, possibly bi, but basically uncurious. <laughs> and then on the TV, the TV, one of the guys is like, I love beauty, I hate arrogance, and I love sucking cock. And, you know, I, I think it's funny that the resolution to the Mark's crisis is completely unresolved. And that's, again, very Mark thing. Just We're just going to bury this as deeply as possible and hope to never think about it again. Yeah. Yeah. 
however, despite the fact that Mark's Mark's uh, sexual questions are left unresolved, Jeremy all of a sudden remembers what the bad thing is. Oof, yeah, and it it was uh, you know in this context a bad thing. You just get another third person view, Jeremy in shock, jaw basically hitting the floor, eyes just wide open, with super hands sucking him off. Yeah, super hands is just going to town. Going to town, going to town on him, and uh, Jeremy finishes, and super hands looks at Jeremy and says. All right, now it's my turn, mate. And then we cut to the credits, which is uh, actually by the Lighthouse family, the, the song in the closing credits, which we mentioned in a previous episode. So there it is again. Yeah. But this episode, you know, there there was a couple there's a couple funny moments. It was kind of a mediocre episode, especially coming off of on the pole, because it's just it's it really was a great episode, and I really hope that people have followed along and listened to the podcast and watched the show because it, it, it's just a fantastic episode. But, uh, you know, it'll slowly start to pick back up. I, Having watched it again, I don't think at first I noticed the lapse in the first-person point of view. Like, I, I guess it just really didn't occur to me until we started talking about it. But yeah. I, I think it does work. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. It's They're just so messed up on drugs that the third-person view is basically just like Jeremy's disassociated, you know, consciousness. And I, I, and I'm fine with that. But you know, Mark has great interactions with Johnson. Uh, the Jeremy storyline it was a little bit weak. I mean, if you really think about it, after watching this, I mean, Jeremy really didn't have much quality FaceTime in general, except for when he's talking to Mark. Yeah, uh, Jeremy's scenes are kind of. Jeremy's scenes are all just kind of manipulating Mark and his whole storyline is remembering what the bad thing is. Yeah. Which, you know, okay. It was, it was funny at the end, but I don't know for me, it wasn't the payoff that I was looking for, but you know, again, if you're watching it for the first time, I'm, I'm sure you'll find it a lot more, uh, more funny than we did having seen it and, and just beating this thing to death in our notes and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, the next episode after this one, the, the next episode we're going to discuss is Dream Job, and I think that this this one is pretty funny. Um, this is a this next one is the Dream Job is a pretty funny episode with uh, Sophie. You get to see some uh, heavy heavy developments in Sophie and Mark, and then Jeremy and Tony. So. Yeah, and and you know Mark armed with this new relationship with Johnson is is gunning for a promotion. So. Um... It, it's yeah. a, it, it's a better episode, and uh, you know I, I still find it enjoyable. But we will obviously talk about that uh, in the next episode. Uh, any shout-outs, Anything you want to give before we close it out here? Um, let's see here. Let me pull up SoundCloud real quick. Uh, I would like to say thank you to the seventy people that have listened to the interview, Ooh. and the thirty-five that have listened to on the poll. Um. As far as shout-outs, I don't think we have any new followers. Um, I don't think we have any new followers, but yeah, I'm really excited that 70 people have listened to the interview, and um, we're we're getting our listens up on on the poll. Uh, Yeah, I'm I'm hoping so. we got to pump those numbers up. Those are rookie numbers on the poll there. But, I mean, you know, I, I thought we'd get some more listens because of how much we hyped it up. But I think once people watch it, they're they're definitely going to be interested because it is just such a great episode. Yeah, yeah. I agree with you. So um, that's everything. That's everything for me. And, uh, yeah. That's Have a great day, for, everybody. Yeah, absolutely. That's everything for me, too. So this is the L Dude Brothers podcast saying... And, and, and we'll see you next time have a great day bye it's true pink and blue I can share
Shine on everything. 